0: I want to ask you to open them with me to the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter one for this morning's message and for our time together here today. We are in a sermon series here throughout this Christmas season called Believe, and we're being reminded specifically of our response to what God has done for us. Uh, The fact of the matter is many of you here today likely have read the verses of scripture that we're going to hear together. Uh, If you haven't read the verse of Scripture, I imagine that nearly everyone here today has probably uh, in some way, shape, or form at some point heard the story that we're going to read from Scripture here this morning. And so it will not be new to you. But my prayer through it today is that God would speak to our hearts and lives in a new and in a powerful and a fresh way as we need here this morning. I was reminded this week uh, even just yesterday, about the importance of, of really letting God's Word being our heart in our life. I was speaking to a gentleman. He's, a, he's been a worship leader for many years, but he is now becoming a teaching pastor of a church here in Virginia. And we were talking yesterday for a few brief minutes, and, and we had a chance to interact. And he said, man, I need to ask you to pray for me tomorrow. And I said, well, absolutely. Well, how can I pray for you? He said, out of all these years I've been in church, I am preaching my first message, first Christmas message tomorrow morning. And I said, well, absolutely, I'll be happy to pray for you. He said, no, really, like, I'm really nervous about it. And I said, well, why are you so nervous about it? He said, well, he said, this church has some great Bible preaching and teaching for years. And the beautiful thing about the Christmas story is that it never changes. And he said, the challenging thing about preaching that same story is that it never changes. And so he said, literally, I, I, what new thing can I tell them that they haven't already heard? And of course, I reminded him uh, and the Lord allowed me to pastor and preach for 16 years now uh, I told him, you're not gonna tell them anything new, but here's the simple fact. The Holy Spirit of God can impart it in new ways and in new areas of our life that maybe in the past we weren't ready to receive. And so I pray that God would speak a fresh word into our heart and life about believing in him and that we'll see it maybe in a new way. How I do pray that we see it in a true biblical context. I don't want you to be like the little girl one day that was on her way to church with her mother and she begged her mother this particular day, "Mama." can I go with you to big church? Can I go with you uh, into the worship service instead of going to the children's ministry? And so the mother said, well, if you sit still and behave, I'll let you sit with me uh, in in big church. And so the little girl, she sat there and did a great job during the music. and, And the first 10 to 15 minutes of the message, she was great. But after that, she got a little fidgety, like a child or Sometimes an adult will do, but anyway, she was sitting there and so the mother knew she needed something to help her and so she pulled a sheet of paper out of her purse and she pulled out a handful of crayons and she said, honey, I just I want you to just color and draw whatever the pastor is preaching about, kind of create a scene of what the pastor's talking about and so the little girl did and she began to color and began to write and listen to what the pastor was preaching about and the pastor that day was telling the whole story about Jesus being born and laid there in a manger And so she began to color Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in the manger and the shepherds were there. And and off in the far distance, she had these, these three little guys off in the distance with this red thing on their hat. And so they had the service. They went home that day. And, and so finally the mother asked, she said, honey, show me your picture. I bet it's a masterpiece. And so the little girl with pride beaming, she handed the page to her mother. And her mother began to look and say, oh, honey, this is beautiful. I, I see Mary. And, and sure enough, there's Joseph and there's baby Jesus. Oh, look at the, the shepherds. And she could even tell off in the field there were the sheep. But she was confused about the three little guys with red hats and so she she asked, honey, what are these three guys over here at the end of the page and what in the world is that red red thing on their head? She said, oh, mommy, those are the wise men. And the mother was confused, well, why? What is this red thing on their head? She said, oh, those are their fire helmets. And she said, fire helmets? I I didn't hear the pastor say that the the wise men had fire helmets. She said, oh yes, mommy. The pastor said the wise men came from afar, afar. (laughs) Apparently she was from Alabama, I don't know. (laughs) Luke chapter one this morning, we're gonna look at a scripture that you've heard before, you've maybe read before, you've heard described before, but I pray that in a new and fresh way, God would speak to our hearts and lives. You know, the fact of the matter is this morning, in the midst of our celebrations, in the midst of our decorations, in the midst of all the festivities and all the food and all the the, the Santa and all the presents and all the different things, it is easy for us to lose sight of the true reason that we celebrate. Please make no mistake about it. Christmas should be all about the grace and goodness of God. We are indeed celebrating the fact that God so loved the world that he graciously came to earth and dwelt among us, making a way for us to be with him for all eternity when we consider that the living, true, almighty, all-powerful God of heaven looked down at man in our sinful, helpless state, instead of condemning us and instead of looking down upon us, instead of utterly, completely rejecting us, God looked upon us with compassion and he looked upon us with love and he looked upon us with grace and with mercy and he made a way for every single one of us to be saved, to know him and for ultimately one day for us to spend eternity with him. We celebrate Christmas today because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When we begin to consider what God has done for us, frankly, there is only one fitting and appropriate response, and that is the response of belief. This morning, as we open God's Word, we continue to look at this emphasis of believing in God. And we're specifically looking at several things that I believe that the scriptures that describe to us the birth of Christ, how they point us to not only believe in God, but to believe specific truths about God. Last week, we saw from the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth that God calls us to believe the promises of God, that he, he is faithful to fulfill his promises, even when we don't see it or understand it, when we don't know how it can all work together, he is faithful, he calls us, he is faithful to fulfill his promises. But the second truth we come to today in Luke chapter one and these familiar verses is this simple fact. God also calls us to believe that he can do the impossible. We sang in a song just a moment ago that God is able, that God can do anything and everything. But I wonder this morning, do we truly believe that God can do the impossible. I believe that's what God was calling Mary to in Luke chapter one, and it's what he's calling us to today. And so I wanna ask you if you're able to do so, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're gonna read verses 26 through 38. The words will be on the screen in front of you. The Bible says this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you, once again, this word, have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. We'll talk about the importance of his name if the Lord allows next week. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have, say it with me, no end. Listen to the statement. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high God will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month of pregnancy. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this morning and this time together. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and lives in a personal way, uh, Father, according to your plan. God, where we need to be convicted of sin and we need to repent of it and turn from it, I pray, God, that today would be a day of deliverance and forgiveness and of salvation. God, where we're struggling today in our faith, where we've been doubting you, and Father, where we've been questioning what you're doing, God, I pray today that you would strengthen us to trust you, and God, that in everything that's said and done here today, that you alone would get the glory and praise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you may be seated this morning. Believe that God can do The impossible. This morning, I wanna ask you a very simple question as we get started. It kind of is on the lines of what we're saying and what we see in this pastor's scripture, but that simple question is this. Do you believe that God can do the impossible? Do you believe that God can do the impossible? There are many of us today, we have a mental understanding, we have at least a mindset within us that would say, absolutely, God can do the impossible. After all, many of us would simply look at creation alone, and we would say, God has revealed his power. He has revealed his glory through creation. Look at how he spoke the world into existence. Look at even just the details and the dynamics within a single leaf. Look at all the details within within a simple human cell, the DNA and all the difficulties. We understand that God has revealed his power in creation. But we also understand, many of us would say, well, of course, I I mentally understand and accept that God can do the impossible because not only has God revealed it in creation, but he's also taught us that through his word. No doubt from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament to the New, we see over and over again that God can do anything. In the Old Testament, for example, we read of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, who declared, ah, Lord God, Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth. How? By your great power and by your outstretched arm. Listen to this statement. Nothing, Jeremiah says, is too difficult for you. Would you look at your neighbor for a moment and say, Nothing is too difficult for God? Would you do that? Nothing is too difficult for God. We need to be reminded of that this morning because we face difficulties in this world. We live in a broken world that has been hampered by sin in a million different ways. We live in the midst of broken relationships that are affected by sin. We need to be reminded nothing is too difficult for God. But not do we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 18, verse 27, these simple words, the things that are impossible with people are possible with who? With God. With God. All of us, every single one of us have certain impossibilities. No matter how wealthy we are, no matter how strong we are, no matter how influential we are, no matter how smart we are, there are things we can't do, but there are things ultimately that only God can do. We understand at least mentally that only God can do the impossible. But I wonder in a more personal basis, do you personally believe that God can do the impossible in your life, I mean, we understand in our mind, okay, we got this fact, we see creation, we see all these other things, we see these truths of Scripture, we got it, God can do the impossible. But in our own heart and life, when it comes to our crisis, when it comes to our broken relationships, when it comes to our painful past, when it comes to our bad diagnosis from the doctor, when it comes to our bad news, in those moments, do we believe personally that God can do the impossible in our life? See, there's something about it when it goes from just the theological fact to now the personal truth that I must respond to by faith. There's something about it in that personal moment that causes us to delay. and causes us to question and even causes us to doubt. Well, I believe what God is wanting us to see this morning is the overwhelming clear answer. Yes, he not only can do the impossible, but he can do the impossible in our lives as we respond in faith to him. And we see that in the story of Mary. I want you to make with me this morning four observations from Luke chapter one that I believe God will use to encourage us. And I pray to challenge us and help us to truly live by faith here today. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the unlikely person, the unlikely person. The Bible introduces us to her as simply a young lady by the name of Mary. Now you may be here this morning and thinking, wait a second, Pastor Mary is an unlikely person. Uh, She's like one of the most well-known characters from the entire, if you will, Christmas story. How could she be unlikely? But please understand this morning, long before she was well-known, long before she had uh, plays and poems and songs written about her, long before she was a part of that nativity scene, so to speak, long before some within our culture literally would pray to her, long before any of these things happened, she was a very unknown person. In fact, we know from Mary that she was a very simple, common, ordinary young lady. In fact, she was an individual just like many of us. She lived a simple, common, ordinary life. She was a sinner in needs of God's grace just like you and I need God's grace. She was an unlikely person. And we see that in two specific ways in the text. First, we see that in the context of her hometown. Her hometown. You know, someone's hometown can tell you a lot about them. You understand that a lot. Our background can tell us a lot about ourselves. And the Bible says in verse 26 something about her hometown. It says that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, Galilee was a very popular region in Jesus's day. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you begin to learn several things about Galilee. And I think of the Sea of Galilee, for example. The Sea of Galilee is where Jesus had several experiences with his disciples on a boat. And we read of several storms that happened on the Sea of Galilee. We learn about the city of Cana in Galilee, where Jesus performed his first miracle during his earthly life as he was there at the wedding and turned the water into wine. And it was a significant city. We know in New Testament times of a city named Tiberias, which was the kind of the capital city of Galilee. It was a major uh, industrial city of trade and of commerce, uh, a lot of wealth in that time, tons and tons of people. And so there are some significant things about Galilee. But one of the areas of Galilee that you wouldn't know anything about is a little town called Nazareth. Nazareth was frankly one of those little towns that we still wouldn't know about today without the exception that something significant was about to happen in Luke chapter one. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm not picking on any particular area, please understand that, but, but Nazareth was just kind of a, a small town that nobody really knew about. Uh, I was reminded of kind of small towns that you had to learn about when you moved to a new area when the Lord brought our family here three and a half years ago. Uh, by show of hands, how many of you are native to the valley? You were born up, you born, you raised up, grew up here right here in the valley. How many of you? Very good. And how many of you have been transplanted? God has brought you here to the valley. And some of you are praying that God would bring you to the valley, okay? I won't ask you for those that are praying to leave, but the bottom line is, we, some of us are from here, some of us aren't. I remember when the Lord brought us here in June of 2016. It was like my second week here. And, uh, and I had a meeting that was scheduled. And so I was talking actually with Pastor Terry, who's sitting on the front row, dressed like me today. Thank you, Pastor Terry, looking sharp, brother. Um I went to Pastor Terry and I said, Pastor Terry, uh, I've got a meeting and I'm not sure if I know where I'm going. He said, well, where are you headed to? I said, it's this lunch meeting over in McGaye'sville. <laughs> and he just started laughing, just like you did. And I, and I said, what's the deal? He said, it's McGahiesville. I still, there's not a C or a K in it. I have no idea how they pronounce it that way. And, and he, he gave me a brief tutorial on the area. And, some, and I appreciate it. Pastor Terry, it has helped me and it's probably kept me alive on a few occasions. Thank you for that. The simple reality is Nazareth was kind of like that. It was one of those areas that unless you were right there, you didn't know about it. And in the context of biblical days, Nazareth was greatly looked down upon. Nazareth had no major industry. They weren't a thriving metropolis. There was no major wealth in Nazareth. In fact, The people of Nazareth are just hardworking people. They were largely farmers and builders and there was nothing of Nazareth that was noteworthy. In fact, most scholars today believe that you could measure Nazareth's population in hundreds and not by thousands. In fact, some go as far to say as there were a handful of clans. This would have been families, if you will, and their descendants that had kind of gathered in this area. So maybe their population was between four and 600. I don't know if that's true or not, but it gives us a picture of the fact that it's a very small rural area. In fact, the only reason you would ever go to Nazareth is if you were passing through Nazareth on the way to Sepphoris, the capital that was built by Herod Antipas in 4 BC. In other words, people did not like Nazareth. If you went to Nazareth, you went only because you were passing through to get to the governor's basically capital and palace and you got there as quickly as you could. You didn't stop and stay in Nazareth. Because of Nazareth's lack of wealth and because of frankly, their lack of education, because of their lack of industry and all these other things, people from Nazareth were largely criticized and despised. They were looked down upon as someone of low birth, of someone who was insignificant, of someone who would never amount to anything, someone who was insignificant, someone who grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. They were despised and criticized. Well, the Bible tells us in that city, there was a young lady by the name of Mary. In fact, Nazareth is such a city that in John chapter 1, verse 46, when Philip goes to Nathanael to say, hey, listen, I got to tell you about Jesus of Nazareth. I think he's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to come and save us. Literally, Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That, that little town, that insignificant city. In our day, we'd say, that hick town? Are you kidding me? They were shocked. But that's the context of the city that Mary came from. Surely one would think that if God was going to send his son, the king of kings and lord of lords, that he would come to a royal palace, that he would come to a throne, maybe a wealthy city like Jerusalem. No, God would begin to work and move in a little humble city in a very humble young lady by the name of Mary. So we see her hometown, but secondly, we see in that context her humility. The Bible says in verse 27 that the angel spoke to this young lady, a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, but she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. We see her humility. Her hometown, certainly of humble means, but we also see her humility in a few other statements in these verses. First, the Bible tells us that she was a virgin. Now, there are some critics who would look at this word and say, well, see this word here in some cases is used to, to refer to a young lady. And in other cases, it's referring to literally a virgin who has never uh, uh, known a man in this context. And so literally what the Bible is showing to us is that she was both. She was both a young lady, most likely of teenage years. And at the same time, she was a virgin. She never had known a man Intimately. She was old enough to be engaged, to be married. She was old enough to know how things worked. She was old enough for these things. But the fact of the matter is, is that she had never known a man intimately. And God began to speak through Gabriel to speak these words of saying, hey, there's something that God has for you. There's a plan and a purpose that God has. There's a message that God has for you. God has something special planned for you, Mary. I say humility for this simple fact. Surely one would think that if God was going to work in the life and through the life of a lady in that day to bring about his plan to accomplish his purposes, surely he would work through a lady who had more wisdom and more knowledge and more experience and more understanding than a young teenage girl. In fact, for example, if you think through the Old Testament, there are lots of ladies that God worked in and worked through to accomplish his purposes in profound ways. But every time we find they weren't teenagers. They were ladies that knew God and trusted God. They were ladies that God had revealed things to, to just name a few. None of them were young, for lack of a better term. None of them had a lack of wisdom or or knowledge. Surely if God was going to move in that day, he would choose someone else. But no, God chose Mary. It wasn't because of the amazing skills that she brought. It wasn't because of the incredible abilities. It's not because she stood out amongst the crowd, no. There was frankly nothing in this moment that caused her to stand out. The Bible's very adamant to point out the fact that she was a virgin and never known a man, but even in her purity, she would not have been the only virgin throughout the region in that day. In other words, there's nothing about Mary that would cause us to look back and say, oh yeah, well, that's why God chose her, No. God just sovereignly chose her because he had a plan and a purpose for her life. You know, the simple fact of the matter is this morning, while God had a unique purpose for Mary's life, the fact is that God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. I don't know where you're from. I don't know every detail about your background. I don't know difficult things that you've been through and what victories you've experienced. But if God created you, God has a plan and he has a purpose for you. When God formed you in your mother's womb, he had a plan and a purpose for you, ultimately that he would get glory in and through your life. And I believe in this context we see with Mary, God was working and moving, even in the midst of her hometown and in her humility, to bring her to a place where he would do incredible things. The fact of the matter is the angel spoke and said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. That statement favored one literally means greatly graced. You who have been greatly graced by God, God is working, God is moving, God has a plan for you. And notice how she responds. The Bible says she was very perplexed. And it means exactly what it sounds like. She was confused. Why would God speak to me? What what would God want to to do in my life? What, what, What would God want to reveal to me? Maybe in that moment she had those questions that would probably enter her own mind, but but God, there are people that are more skilled than me. God, there are people that have greater knowledge than me or greater wealth. There's, There's more that they could offer you. God, there's other relationships and connections and influences. God, God, what would you want with me? I believe in that moment she felt unworthy and confused of why God would speak in such a way to reveal his grace. Why God, after 400 years of silence, God has not given a fresh word from him. He's not raised up another prophet. People have been long awaiting what God was going to do. Would the Savior ever come? 400 years of silence, and now God speaks, and he speaks to her. God, why me? The fact of the matter is, you may be here this morning and feel unworthy. You may be here this morning, and God might be stirring in your heart and life and convicting you and stirring in your life to a specific action, and you may be in that same place of wondering, God, why me? God, there's someone else maybe that could do the job better. God, there's someone else that has more resources. God, there's someone else that's got a better time available to them. God, there's someone else maybe that you could use. Mary didn't go through all those details of questions. She took in all that the angel shared. She was perplexed and she kept pondering what this really meant. Maybe you can relate. Friend, I want to remind you this morning that God has an incredible... Uh, ability of taking those things that we think maybe are unworthy or we think that maybe it could not amount up to or maybe those things that we despise in some ways God has an amazing way of taking those things and using them in such a way that he alone gets the glory is that not what God did when God took Peter a common ordinary fisherman and made him a fisher of men is that not what God did when God looked at the tax collector Matthew and called him and changed him? Is that not what God did when he took Saul the murderer and made him a missionary of the gospel of Christ? If God could take an unknown girl named Mary, a virgin from the city of Nazareth, and work so mightily in her and through her, I'm telling you this morning, there is nobody that God can't work in and work through for his glory. Here's how the Bible says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world, the despised God has chosen, the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before God. There is nothing he can't do to work in and work through for his glory. The second thing I want you to see this morning is the uncommon purpose. There's an unlikely person who would have ever thought a young virgin girl from Nazareth And yet, that is exactly what God planned. But then secondly, we see an uncommon purpose. The angel Gabriel quickly calmed Mary's fears and said, Mary, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God. We see that word again. You have found grace with God. God is working and moving in mind that Mary needed God's grace just like we do. She wasn't perfect. She she didn't know all the answers. She didn't know what God had in store. She had questions and uncertainties just like you and I faced. She depended upon and needed God's grace. As the angel speaks, the angel gives a message to Mary. I want you to consider for a moment the message. How would Mary know what God was saying to her? How would Mary know what God was doing in her life? The only way she could know was by a message. And while her message was delivered in a unique manner, the fact of the matter is, God still speaks in our life today to reveal his message. Even still today, 2019, I realize many years have passed since Gabriel spoke to Mary all those years ago. But the fact of the matter is God is still working and moving in our life to reveal his message. For Mary in her context, verse 31, the angel gave the message, behold, you will conceive in your womb, you will bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. She understood crystal clear what the message was from God. While today we may not have Gabriel speaking a word of message to us, the fact of the matter is we can just as clearly know what God's message is for our life. Even still today, we can know clearly. How? Because we have the word of God and we have the Holy Spirit of God. Do you remember last week we looked at Zacharias and we looked at the illustration from Luke chapter one as God was working and God was moving and God was speaking and we saw how God spoke to Zacharias? Today, we see still today that God still speaks through his word and through the Holy Spirit, God makes us aware of what his message is for us. For example, listen to these words of scripture. We saw them last week, we hear them again. In John chapter 16, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into what? into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And what will he do? He will disclose to you what is to come. We're hearing it again, just like last week. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and he will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and he will disclose it to you. The picture here is of the Holy Spirit of God bringing us alongside of him and giving words of instruction to us. It's like these, these words of whisper, if you will. He's giving us a, a message. That's what God is saying in John chapter 16. Let me illustrate that for just a moment. This, just yesterday, my family and I loaded up in a vehicle and we went to Lynchburg, Virginia, where we watched the Virginia Christmas Spectacular. Some of you have been there before and you've seen it, but it was a big uh, Christmas program put together by Thomas Road uh, Baptist Church, and it was incredible. And so my wife and I, we knew we had this plan for the kids. And we had told them all week long, on Saturday, we're doing something with our family. We're gonna leave like around noon. We're gonna get back around 9 p.m. So it's gonna be a full day. Get whatever homework and projects done, you gotta get done, but we're gonna have a good time on Saturday. And so I told my kids that. Of course, my kids wanted to know, where are we going? Where are we going? And I would say, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. If you ask again, I'll never tell you anything again. You know, like... You know, if you ask me again, Santa's gonna take back some presents, you know, like whatever, I don't know, I mean. But my kids would ask and I would tell them, nothing, nothing. (laughs) And throughout the week, all but one of my kids, at one point or another, when we were alone said, dad, it's just you and me. (laughs) Where are we going? Seriously. You know what each of them were doing all but one? (laughs) Thank you, Mac, for waving at me, right? (laughs) What each was doing all but once, they were saying, Dad, it's just you and me now. You can tell me. Your secret's safe with me. And I'm looking like, you're a little liar. That's not true. (laughs) It's not true, right? I'm being lighthearted here, but the idea of disclosing it to you in the context is, it's a picture of Jesus saying, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to disclose to you things. It's like he's going to be with you and he's going to, in that context of relationship, tell you things that otherwise you would not have known. And what's the basis of it? He tells us he will guide you into all the truth. The very next chapter, John 17, verse 17, here's what Jesus says. Jesus prays, Father, sanctify these disciples of mine. Sanctify them in truth. What is the truth? Your word is truth. Here's the fact of the matter is many of us are missing the message from God because we are ignoring the word of God and in essence, grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Man, when we get in God's word and let God's word get in our life, the Holy Spirit begins to move and to convict and to comfort and to guide and to help, to give wisdom and direction. He gives us his message. Mary did not have the full word of God like we have today. She didn't have the Bible like we have it. In fact, in this moment, literally the the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, which means in that moment, the Holy Spirit wasn't upon her. Today, as a born again believer, we have the Holy Spirit of God within us and we have the word of God to deliver us the message of God. We understand this purpose, but where it becomes uncommon is in the message directly, the unique message that God gave to Mary. What was that message? It was a message about the Messiah, Can you imagine the weight of this message? I think it's hard for us in 2019 to grasp the wonder and the amazement that Mary would have had in this moment. Prophet after prophet throughout the Old Testament, hundreds and almost thousands of years before the birth of Christ, God has been looking forward and God has been saying, I'm gonna send a savior. I'm gonna send a deliverer. I'm gonna send the Messiah, the chosen one. He's gonna rescue the people. He's gonna redeem the people. He's gonna deliver them from their bondage. And literally there were all these prophets pointing to it. But like the common pattern of the Old Testament, the people would harden their heart against God. They would reject the ways of God. In fact, God's delay would seem so long to them that they would get distracted and they wouldn't believe God's promise anymore. And they would turn to their own things and they would turn to their own devices and their own habits. And they would literally doubt the promise of God to the point that they would completely live however they wanted to. And in that time, God became silent. 400 years We get impatient when our internet's not fast enough. (laughs) We get impatient when they mess up our burger at the fast food restaurant. 400 years. They are waiting. They're wait. Is God ever gonna speak again? Is there ever gonna be another prophet again? Is the Messiah ever gonna come? 400 years. And now in a little city called Nazareth, An unknown girl named Mary gets a heavenly messenger. Gabriel comes. And in essence, he says, God has not forgotten his promise. God is faithful to fulfill his promise. And Mary, God is going to bring through your womb the Savior of the world, the Messiah. In fact, here's how he said it in verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, born in the lineage of David. Remember that statement for a moment. And he will reign over the house of Israel, of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Please understand, I realize in our day day it's hard for us to grasp, but in that moment when the, when the angel says this child is going to be the son of the Most High and he's going to establish the throne of his father David and his kingdom will last forever. Those three phrases, those three words were like a light bulb going off in Mary's heart and mind. As she heard the truth, she realized anew my goodness, my God, my Savior, look at what you're doing. All the prophecies of old, hundreds of years ago, I Isaiah spoke almost 700 years earlier speaking of this very moment and God, could it be that you're bringing this to pass in my life in this moment? Listen to what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 7 verse 14 and then Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah prophesied almost 700 years earlier that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 9, listen to this. The people who walk in darkness will walk. I'm sorry, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Why? For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this statement. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. How far, how long? From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this say, Pastor, what are you saying? I think in that moment, I mean the light bulbs are going off. Mary is understanding the purpose for which God has created her and the purpose that he is calling her to. Literally the long-awaited Messiah was coming. The long-awaited Savior was coming and he was coming literally through her womb. Uncommon purpose. Third thing I want you to see this morning is the unimaginable power of God. The unimaginable power of God. If you're so with me, would you say, all right? Picture the scene for just a moment. Mary's purpose was very unique. She would hear a message from God that no one before had ever heard and no one since has heard or ever will hear again that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a child and this child would be called the son of the most high God. But it's in this next point that we are reminded every single one of us that we all relate and can understand the unimaginable power of God. We say unimaginable because how frankly do you put in the words the infinite power of God? How do you summarize in a matter of a phrase or in just a few statements even for that matter, the, the power of God that has power to do all things, that literally there is nothing he can't do. But in that moment of hearing, the prophecies are being fulfilled. In that moment of hearing, the Messiah is to be born, Mary, Mary. In that moment of hearing that you, Mary, are the virgin who will conceive and give birth to a child and you'll name him Jesus. In that moment, Mary did what many times we tend to do. And that is she began to process it all. I think she's logically trying to understand how's this gonna work. Now, I don't think her question is one of doubt because God didn't rebuke her through Gabriel. I also don't think it's one of doubt because we know in verse 45 in Luke chapter one that when Elizabeth sees her, Elizabeth celebrates and rejoices because Mary believed the message from the angel. But even in her faith, she had some questions. It's okay at time to have questions. When God calls you to do something that is humanly impossible, when God calls you to do something that's uncomfortable, when God leads you to do something when you don't understand how he's at work, it's okay at times to acknowledge that those questions are. And in that moment, that's what's happening here. Mary asks a very specific and simple question. Here's her question. The Bible says in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, "How can this be since I am a virgin?" I don't believe her question is a sign of doubt. I truly believe that she is accepting the message by faith. Okay, I believe your message. I believe the prophecies of Isaiah and of all the prophets of old. I believe that what you're saying is true, that you're gonna give a child to me, that this is not gonna be the the child of a man, but the child of God. I believe this is true, but I don't understand how. How's this going to happen? I think she's honest about her question. And in that, I believe that God is giving us just a wonderful word of reminder that this is what faith looks like. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Mary had never experienced anything like this before and neither had anybody else. Mary didn't have a support group of ladies that she could go talk to in this moment. There was no book that was famous on Amazon for how virgins became pregnant with children and how they delivered. There's nothing that she could go to to get help. She is literally experiencing something that no one else had ever experienced before or has experienced since. And yet she's walking forward in faith with the simple question, but Lord, how is this going to happen? How is this going to be? What I want you to see this morning is that walking by faith is difficult. Walking by faith is challenging. When you walk by faith, you're not gonna have every answer. When you walk by faith, you're not gonna understand every detail. When you walk by faith, you're not gonna see the big picture at every given moment. When you walk by faith, you literally aren't gonna know necessarily what's around the next corner. But what you can know is that God is good and that God is true and God is faithful to fulfill his plan through you. How can this be since I am a virgin. When we walk by faith, we become sensitive to the Lord's leading. And as we do, we begin to discover that God shows us step by step what we need, what we need to know, what we need to experience. And so in this moment, she asks the question, how can this be since I'm a virgin and what does God do? God answers her and through Gabriel, God reveals his plan. I am thankful that as we seek God for wisdom, as we seek God for direction, he begins to reveal things to us that we need to know. And in this context, he says this in verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, here's what's gonna happen, Mary. Here is God's plan. Here's how this will unfold. Now, please understand, the angel didn't go through all the anatomy of it all. The angel didn't describe biologically how this is going to happen. The angel didn't describe supernaturally every detail. But here's what the angel said. The angel said, Mary, here's what you need to know. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. Mary, I want you to know, here's what Gabriel's saying, that God is not the author of confusion. He's not, the, the, he's not a God of chaos or confusion. No, God has a plan. He's strategic and he's orderly. And here's what God's plan is. Mary, the Holy Spirit of God is gonna come upon you. And the power of the most high, almighty God of heaven is going to overshadow you. And when the almighty God of heaven overshadows you, you will conceive and you will be with child. By the way, side note, he didn't say you will be with a fetus. You will be with child. There will be a child. Instantly, as God overshadows you, there will be a child within your womb. Life will spring forth in your womb and you will know that this is not the child of a man. This will be the child. This will be the son of the living, almighty, all-powerful God. So pastor, but how, how? How could that happen? The Bible doesn't give us every detail, but I am convinced of this. If God could create our bodies with all the complexity that he has. If God, the same almighty living God of heaven, could speak the world into existence in six literal days, if the same living, all-powerful God of heaven could speak and suddenly there would be light, if the same living, true, almighty God of heaven could simply speak and the dead would be raised to life, then, friend, understand that the virgin birth would be no problem for him. If God could speak and by the power of his word, literally from death there would be life and from darkness there would be light and from nothing there would be creation, then this is no challenge for him. God speaks his word to reveal his plan to inform Mary and to make her very much aware that what was happening in her life and what would happen through her life would be nothing short of the miraculous, powerful hand of God. But then secondly, This is unheard of for Mary. It's hard for me to grasp the wonder that she would have experienced in that moment. But upon giving this word of God's plan, here's what's going to happen. God gives her a reassuring proof through the message. And here's what he tells her, verse 36. And behold, Mary, pay attention to this, don't miss this. Open your eyes for a moment, take it all in even your relative elizabeth has also conceived in her own age in her old age and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month you know the fact of the matter is i don't know about you god doesn't have to do this he's not we're not entitled to this but god often graciously chooses to do this that when god calls us to do difficult things when god calls us to take steps that require great faith God often gives us some means of assurance, some means of his grace, some means of affirmation to show us that we are on the right path, to remind us the peace and the security and the comfort to see how he's working in our life. it Kind of like sometimes like the ribbon that you leave on the path to let you know you're in the right direction. God does that in our life. I remember years ago when I was growing up in Alabama, there was a piece of land in a small county called Elmore County, and there were 70 acres of land there that we had access to. And sometimes we would go hunting there, but a lot of times we'd go there just to hike or go fishing. And there were, there were two ponds, huge ponds, and some massive fish in this pond. It was the best place I've probably ever fished for that matter. And, and I remember that we didn't really know the land very well, but we had access to it. And so when we would go out to the land, we would often go just for the purpose of exploring. And in Alabama, it's, not, not, it's, it's more so than here, but in Alabama, the woods there are thick. I mean, you can, get into a, you can get into a patch of woods and turn around and not even remember where you came from. And so oftentimes, as we were going, we would blaze some sort of a trail with, with machetes and things. And I remember, I don't know, every so hundred yards or more, literally we would take out these little colorful ribbons that were fluorescent and we'd tie them onto the end of a twig somewhere. And we'd, we'd make our way through and we'd spend most of a Saturday out in the woods and then when it was time to come back, we'd start coming back. And what were we looking for? We were looking for those ribbons. Those, those, literally, those, those ribbons as a reminder, here's the path, we're going in the right place. You know, the fact of the matter is there are oftentimes in our life, we may not see it in the moment, we may not understand how everything's working together, but God oftentimes in our life allows circumstances and situations in such a way, they become like those ribbons to show us We're on the right path. We're right where he wants us to be. That God had a plan and a purpose all along that maybe we didn't see. We're here in this moment, God is kind of giving her a a ribbon, so to speak, an assurance that this is what he's doing, that he has the power. And what's that assurance? Verse 36, even your relative Elizabeth is with child. You remember Elizabeth, literally what he says here, she's conceived in her old age and she was called barren. You, you remember Elizabeth, Mary? Literally, she, she's so up in age. She, she prayed for years, prayed for decades. God, would you give me a child? Mary, you remember? The whole family was praying. The whole village was praying. Everybody was praying for Elizabeth to have a child, and the child never came. So much so that she was called barren. She was unable to have children. But I want you to know, Mary, Elizabeth is pregnant and she's not only pregnant, but the child within her is growing and she is now six months pregnant and within just a few months, the baby's gonna be here. God is working, God is moving, God is doing the impossible. What is he doing? He's giving a reassuring proof. Here's the truth. in that simple, simple fact of this statement. If God can make an old barren womb spring to life, then he could certainly make a young virgin's womb spring to life. He's giving words of proof To Mary. Let me ask you a question this morning. How has God proven Himself to you? What has God done in your your life to remind you of His presence, to remind you of His provision? What has God done in your life to demonstrate His power? What has God done in your life to reveal His purpose for you? I don't know all the things that he's revealed in your life. I don't know all the ways that he's shown his faithfulness, but the fact of the matter is we at sometimes in our life go through circumstances, we go through trials, we go through difficulties, we go through things that seem impossible. We may not always see it and we may not always understand it, but if we are watching for his work, oftentimes like a ribbon on the trail, he reveals to us glimpses and pieces for us to see where he's at work and what he's doing, reminding us that he's had a plan all along. God was doing that in Mary's life. The final thing I want you to see is this. I want you to consider the unending promise of God. The unending promise of God. It's in this moment that Gabriel speaks and gives a final word to Mary before he would depart. This was a personal word of promise to Mary. But the fact of the matter is, I am sitting as an unending promise of God because this promise stands on its own. It needs no further explanation. And it's as every bit as true for us today in 2019 as it was for Mary many years ago. And here's what the angel said. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, whatever uncertainties you have, whatever unknowns exist, Whatever insecurities might be there in the back of your heart and mind, whatever the task might be, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what's to come around the corner, I want you to know, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. There's nothing he can't do. The unending promise of God is so simple and it is so clear that God has all power. He has all authority and there's nothing He can't do. We may get discouraged. We may get down. But we need to be reminded, nothing is impossible with God. We may be fearful about the outcome. The future may be uncertain. But nothing is impossible with God. Because of that this morning, we don't have to worry when fear comes. We don't have to be overwhelmed when the bad news comes. No, we can look to God knowing that nothing is impossible with him. You know, this morning as I think about that simple truth and that simple promise, I think it's easy for us in our mind to accept that nothing is impossible with God. But when it comes to our personal lives, sometimes it's really difficult to live that out, isn't it? When we look at our past, we look at our situations and shame and all the hurt from yesterday that still hinders us we still need to be reminded that nothing is impossible with God sometimes in our life when we look at our sin that we find ourselves completely going back to not living in victory over Sometimes it's addictions and habits and all sorts of things and we think it's impossible. How could I ever get victory over this? Nothing is impossible with God. Sometimes it's situations where, where we notice something's wrong and we, we go to the doctor and they do all the scans and all the tests and we deal with the, the worry and the fear that comes along. We even get the bad report and the doctor looks at us with no hope. But I remind you, nothing is impossible with God. There are times we're in relationships, and it seems like things are great and vibrant and wonderful and healthy and joyful, and it seems like in a, in a flip second, I mean, everything can turn around and, and be changed, and relationships can be over, and, and marriages ended, and covenants broken, and in those moments, we wonder, what are we to do? I want to remind you, in that moment, still nothing is impossible with God. As a church, frankly, we, we look at the world around us and we recognize over two billion people have still never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And we're reminded that we've been called to go into all the world, and yet the task seems so overwhelming. What do we do? We'd be reminded that nothing is impossible with God. And we walk forward in faith. Well, what do we do about the child that we loved and ministered to and raised to love the Lord and Today, they're a prodigal. Today, they're not living for the Lord. Today, they're doing their own thing and they seem to have no desire at all. What do you do? You'd be reminded that nothing is impossible with God. There's a lot of situations in our life that frankly discourage us and overwhelm us and bring us to a place at times of despair. But I'm gonna remind you this morning, nothing is impossible with God. So today, whatever your areas of doubt, Whatever your areas of discouragement, whatever your areas of despair, I want to encourage you to believe the promise of God that nothing is impossible with Him. And instead of throwing up your hands in despair and instead of doubting God and just trying to do everything on your own, I want to encourage you today, anew and afresh, to open your hands to the Lord and trust Him and to surrender everything to Him. You may be here this morning personally struggling with sin and issues in your life that you feel like you have no hope of ever overcoming. That it's impossible. But Jesus himself addressed that in Matthew chapter 19. Remember that that word there, for nothing will be impossible with God? That same word impossible was also used by Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus was looking at a rich man, a healthy man who had his whole life in front of him. It seemed like he had everything the world could offer, but he he was missing one thing. He didn't know God. He didn't know that heaven was his home. He knew that he needed peace with God. And so he came to Jesus with a question, what have I gotta do to be saved? How can I have eternal life and know that heaven's my home? jesus deals with him talks to him and then turns around to his disciples and here's what he says in matthew 19 he says truly i say to you it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven again i say to you listen to this it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven when his disciples heard this they were astonished and said then who can be saved If this guy with everything going for him can't be saved, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, listen to the same word. With people, this is, say it with me, impossible. There is no amount of health. There is no amount of good works. There is no amount of wealth. There's no amount of good faith. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves and set us free from our sin and to change our situation. But with God, all things are possible. What's the key? The key is found in one word, one action. It's the word believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. Listen to how Mary responded, verse 38. Mary said, behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word and the angel departed from her. In other words, Mary believed that God could do the impossible. Mary believed that the savior of the world was soon to come through her womb. She believed and she surrendered to the Lord. 2019, that happened a long time ago, but we're still talking about it today. Not because of Mary, but because of the one who came, who was born of a virgin, who came to give his life for us. But Mary's response of faith is the same response that God desires of every single one of us today. We know how Mary responded. The bigger question today is, is how will you respond? The story of Christ's coming is not just about Mary and Joseph, and the scene that unfolded 2,000 years ago. Truth be told, the story is still being written every time today a person believes in Jesus Christ. So, this morning, I want you to know you could be as humble, as pure, and as godly as Mary and not be saved. You must have faith, you must believe. That's the only way we can be saved. That's the only way we can be delivered. And that's the only way we will experience the simple truth that with God, all things are possible. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the ways that you speak to our heart and life. I'm so thankful, God, to know that with you, nothing is impossible. Lord, I'm thankful for the ways you've demonstrated that in my life and working in in some incredible situations. But Father, even beyond some of the health things and some of the provisional things, the ways that you've protected me, God, spiritually, I know you can do the impossible because you saved my soul. By your grace, you forgave my sins. You cleansed me. I know you can do the impossible because even after being saved in seasons and moments when I've struggled and even have strayed, God, when I've come back to you, repentance. You've always been gracious to forgive and to set me free. God, I'm so thankful for that. Father, I pray today that you would remind all of us that only you can do the impossible, and I pray that we would respond in faith, even as Mary did many years ago. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.